Diane Coffey's going to pray this morning. I'm going to have her open us in prayer. And in, in, you want, yeah, come on up here and I'll hold the mic by you so they can hear you. And, and one thing, somebody we need to pray for in this class, I don't know if you all know June. She sits back over here, sweet little June. She just has a lot of health issues, you all. She will not tell you that. I thought I saw it. She was here and she left because she wasn't feeling well. We tried, several of us tried to get her to stay anyway. But um, if we could just lift her up in prayer this morning also and pray for June. <laughs> I'm very shy and I'm not used to speaking into a microphone. Uh, I'm really not shy at all. But anyway, let's pray. Our holy God in, in heaven, as we come to you today, Help us, Father, to be mindful of who you are. So far above us and so far above our ability to completely understand. And yet, Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who has, over all the ages, revealed yourself to us. Um, and now, well, first, most completely through your son when he came to this earth and was God among us. But now, Father, you have sent your spirit to enlighten us, and you have given us your written word, which is so powerful. And we are so thankful, Father, that in those ways and through uh, speaking to us sometimes directly through your spirit, you do reveal yourself to us. And we want, Father, to bring you glory and honor in everything we do and everything we say. And we do thank you so much, Father, for this class and for the willingness of Nancy and Jim and others, Father, to teach us each week and for all that we gain through this teaching. And we, Father, we hope that it will change our lives, not just that we would know more facts, but that we would know you more, Father, because that is our constant desire, that we would come to know you better, that we would see glimpses of your majesty on your throne in heaven and that we would learn to hear and recognize your voice father when you do speak to us we thank you so much for this day and for this class we thank you for this country we live in where we're allowed to gather like this without any fear of consequences at all we do lift up june father our dear sister who is suffering uh, from health issues, we ask that you would be with her and strengthen her and heal her and any others, Father, in this class and otherwise that we know of who are suffering um, physical ailments or other problems, Father, we, we just lift them up. And we know that your watchful eye is on them, and we're so thankful for that. Thank you for this day. Thank you again, Father, for Nancy and for... Uh, your word, and for this wonderful lesson in the book of Hebrews, we give you thanks. And it's all because of and in the name of wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Diane. Okay, we've got, we, we are nearing the end. Do you all realize that? We have two more lessons um, left. I'm like, where did the time go? Uh, it's just amazing to me how quickly these 10 weeks go. It's sad, isn't it? It really is kind of sad. It, I, I know. I will miss it, too. I will enjoy not having to, to write, but I will miss it. So I'm glad you all enjoyed. I'm glad you get a lot out of it. Okay, I want to go back for just a minute. I'm going to turn back in Hebrews if you want to follow along with me. 
One of the things I notice, it's true of all of scripture, but in this book, it's just his flow of thought. I hope you, you are seeing it that each week, how he's just flowing. And he's, for example, in this first verse, he says, therefore, and that therefore, as we all know, we want to look and see what that therefore is there for. And how he just keeps going back to what he had said before. And in, let's see, where is it? Um, well, now I can't find it. I'll just quote it. I thought it was in chapter 10, where he quotes my, oh, here, right here. Okay, look in 32, 1032. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he set the stage for that whole statement, that quote from Habakkuk, my righteous one shall live by faith. And what was all of chapter 11? Because he says right here in these first verses, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are the cloud of witnesses? All those people that he had just mentioned in, in chapter 11, Abraham, Moses, David, even Samson and Jephthah, all, all those, Barak, Gideon, Sarah, Abel, all of those people that he mentioned in that chapter and how they had lived by faith. They um, and, and how is it when he says, we are surrounded by so cloud of witnesses, what is the picture he is wanting, what is the message he's wanting to get, give us from that? How is it that they are witnesses? They endure. We're not talking, are we? Are we talking about just people standing on the sidelines watching us? No. What's he talking about? That really isn't the, that's not the point. Because how encouraging would that be? That's really not overly encouraging when you're in the middle of a marathon race, but what is he saying when he says they're witnesses to us? They did endure. What else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they made it to the end, didn't they? Moses made it to the end. David made it to the end. Abraham made it to the end. Samson made it to the end. All of these people that he had mentioned, and then millions more that have come through the centuries that we could name. You know, great men and women, heroes of the faith, even in the last, you know, in this century that we know about who have gone on and died or, or died, died because of their faith or just died because uh, it's time to go. They have finished the race. They have made it. They are testifying to the fact we did it. You can do it too. It is doable because we did it as well. We weren't perfect 
we were flawed, weren't we? Talked about that when we did chapter 11, how flawed some of these people were and some of the terrible things they themselves did. And yet, God says, by faith they lived. And, they are, and I've recorded them here in Scripture for you as an example. Okay, so he uses the metaphor then of running a race. Anybody in here a runner? I am not. <laughs> Lynn is? Anybody else? Anybody used to be a runner? Okay, Lisa used to be runners. Okay, what, what imagery starts to come to your mind when you read, let us run the race with endurance? You runners, this is your opportunity to share. You suffer? <laughs> How do you suffer? Come on, runners. Okay. It's hard. It hurts. Okay. Okay. What'd you say? Self-discipline. Okay. So in looking at this, you know, we, we always are wanting application and, and how, how do I live? And we've, we've definitely come to that aspect of the book of Hebrews. And when he throws out this phrase, my righteous one shall live by faith, he gave us some motivations for faith. We saw, we've seen that the last couple of weeks. Now, this chapter, as I was looking through it again, it's just like, this is all the how-to. How do I live by faith? You know, and one, I run. I run with endurance a race. And like these people have said, it's hard. It, it requires focus. What else does it require? Discipline. What? When is the end ever going to happen? Training. My daughter ran the Oklahoma City bombing marathon. She and a couple of her friends in college, they trained for months. For months she trained for that. And I remember when she was home over the holidays and the weather was brutal, she was still out running and doing cross-training, all kinds of things to prepare for that particular day to run that, what is it, 26.2 miles just blows me away people can do that. But there were so many people there doing it. Okay, anything else? Focus. Got to be goal-oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Physically and mentally prepared. Do you see why Paul uses so much of the, the athletic metaphor? Because he's used it, you've got some other cross-references here on the athletic metaphor, and these are all references from Paul. What has he said about the Christian life in these references on page 38? You run to win. Yeah. Not just to participate. That's an important point. We don't run to participate, we run to win to get to the prize. Yeah, that, that is the focus, yeah, on the end of the race, okay? What else? 
Okay, so it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So we are in it for the long haul. It is not a one-time short race. It is an endless marathon. Mm -hmm. And we could put up here all those things we've been saying. I hope you're writing notes on all that. Other thoughts? It almost requires blinders, doesn't it? I mean, I'm thinking about that movie about Secretariat just popped in my head. Don't the horses have blinders on? Do they have blinders on? Yeah. Some do. Hmm? Depends on the horse. Okay. But a lot of them will have the blinders on so that all they can see is forward. And in some, and in some respects, when we say focus, I, maybe that's what I need to do is put the blinders on so I'm not seeing the things off to the side. Yeah, Brenda. Yes. Yes. Excellent point, because what does it say right here in Hebrews 12? Let us run with endurance the race, what? That is set before us. So I love that Brenda said that, that you could run in the wrong direction. So you run, it's a marathon, not a sprint, is, is what is set before us. I know enough about running to know that, because both my kids did a little bit of cross country in high school, that there, there's a route. And you have to know, your kids run cross country, don't they? They have to know what the route is. Yours do too. What is the route? That's the race that is set before you. You stay on the route to run the race. You get off the route, go another direction, there's no winning the race. Hmm? And it's happened before? So, yeah. so we, we need to know the route. The race that is set before us, focused, and we'll talk about focused on what in a minute, focused with discipline, self-discipline. Yeah. Well, you would be disqualified if you don't run the right route. You'll be disqualified. Okay. Eye on the prize. And eye on the goal. Yeah. Other thoughts? That's an excellent point. That is a very good point. You know what that also makes me think of? I don't remember what year the Olympics were or someone else might. The year Carl Lewis ran, do you remember that? And he turned to look. And I can't remember, did he lose the race? Or he can't, or it slowed him down. 
No, and he, he didn't just glance. I mean, he turned to see where his competition was behind him. You can't do that. That's huge no-no. And I remember when he did it, I was watching it as it was on TV, and all the commentators saying they couldn't believe he did that because that's a number one no-no that you don't do. So, other thoughts? Yes. Right. When you hit the wall, I'm, I'm not a runner, so I don't know this, but I know runners. And do any of y'all know who Ruthie Lothie is at church? The little, 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 um, real short hair, perfect body. And you'll see her. If you drive around Stillwater, you've seen her. You just don't know you've seen her. I don't know how many miles a day she runs. And she's a huge runner. She just ran that, what was that race a couple weekends ago? Spring break. The land run, how many miles was that? How many? 30 miles. She ran that in that freezing, cold, bitter, wet weather and finished. Uh, but what I have learned from um, talking to runners, especially if they're marathon runners, is sometimes there's a point where you just you hit a wall where you feel like you. Is this true? You, can you elaborate on this? Where you cannot go any further. Did you hit it Sunday? And what happens? Because you didn't eat. And what, so, what do you do? Okay. You couldn't finish. You would just stop right where you are. So how do you get through that? Well, I didn't, this is the first race I've run that I haven't had a friend. Mm -hmm. So I learned that it's, but it's all mental. Okay. 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 That's good. Yeah, Kim. The, that weekend? Yeah. And where is that in here? Where did you see that in here next this week? I'm jumping ahead in verses, but it's in here, isn't it? You want to know how my righteous one will live by faith? How do, how do we do it? Where is it in here, what she just said? Where does it say it in the scripture? Do you see it? Yeah, look at these exhortations at the end. I'm jumping way ahead in your questions. Look in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's kind of what Lisa's talking about and what you're saying, what Spencer did. They strengthened their, their weakness and their droopingness and, and pressed onward to the goal. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which uh, no one will see the Lord. Here it is. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. In other words... You're in this together. We're in this together. Haven't we seen this a lot in, in Hebrews? It's not a solo race. I love what, what you said. I love what Lisa said. It was harder this time because I didn't have anybody with me. And I think about Reagan. There were three of them together, and they stayed together for the entire marathon, those three girls, and finished around, right at the same time. They kept the same pace. They kept with each other. 
And so we, part of that running with endurance is we, we live in community and we help each other. That was one of the questions in your homework toward the end, wasn't it? What, how do we encourage other people? How do we come alongside and help them in this race? How do you help them? We're kind of going forward and then back, but how do we help them? Practically, how do we help each other? I think that's really important to think about. What do you do with that person that is really discouraged? Have you, have you been there? Have you been there where you just kind of want to throw in the towel? Anybody been there? This is too hard. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth it. The trials are weighting me down. I can't see the end. I'm not experiencing joy. I, I just want to, I just, I'm done. In there? How do you help someone like that? What would have helped you? Yes, Tara. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. Sometimes it's stopping right there where you are and saying we're going to pray. Or they've called and say, you know what, let's just stop right now and let's just pray. Not a, will you pray for me and hang up, but we're just going to do it right this minute. Really. Actually, that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, you've invested in a deep enough intimate relationship that when they do speak the, the, the truth, which may be truth and love and not exactly what we want to hear, it's a little bit of a reproof or rebuke, we, we receive it because we know that they love us. And they're not, they're not pounding us, they're loving us. And they want us, they want to see us back on the track, on the path to holiness and, and more sanctification. And that's their goal for us as well. Those are the people we need around us. Yes. Other thoughts? Yes. Go ahead. I understand why it makes you emotional. Yes, Glenda.
Right. Yeah, right, exactly. That's the reminders. That's the gentle nudging. That's the encouragement. That's the praying for them. That's the speaking the truth. Exactly. Okay, let's look at what, what the author of Hebrews tells us in, in some more in how do we run this race with um, endurance because he gives two very specific things there in the opening verses, two very specific exhortations of how we run with endurance. What are they? What's, what's one? Well, back up even further. Look in verse 1. Okay, lay aside every weight and, and the sin and sin which is, clings so closely and let us run the race that is set before us. Okay, is there a reason he says those in the order that he does? You cannot run well with something wrapped around your legs. You cannot do that well. You, you've got to lay aside. And you think about this imagery of the race. At the time this was written, back in those days, like in the early Olympics, uh, it was only men that participated, and they ran with nothing on, absolutely nothing. So that nothing, not, not a lovely sight, is it? <laughs> That's, that they did. They ran naked. And with absolutely nothing on them, nothing that could in any way encumber them. Yes. In verse 11, really. That might be the encouraging you need to focus on, focus on your goal, not look around. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Oh, dear. That's just not a visual I need. Okay, lay aside... Um, Every weight, uh, I gave you the Greek word for weight. What does he mean by that? Lay aside every weight. It's important that we define this and we understand what he's telling us to lay aside. And lay aside means cast it off. Cast it off, get rid of it. What is a weight? Burdens? What is it? It's anything that will slow me down. Anything that'll, that will um, hinder my focus, hinder my walk with Lord, with the Lord, anything that keeps me from running harder than I should. So what are those things? Being busy? Are they is it a weight necessarily a bad thing? No, do you all see that? It's not necessarily something bad. I like this. It's, it may be good, but it may be the good hiding the best. I loved that. wish I could take credit for that, but somebody else said it. It's the good hiding the best. And it may, it may differ for you. It may be different for Phyllis than it is for, for Brenda. So what are some things that would be weights, hindrances, that would encumber us 
from running that race with endurance, from running it with self-discipline and with focus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Busyness is one. Family, yeah, let's get rid of them. <laughs> Got a couple of those I could get rid of. What a work, worry, okay? Sin, for sure. We should always be getting rid of sin, absolutely. But when we think about those things that are not necessarily bad, but which for me personally or for you personally may be hindering your, your path of discipleship, of growing in the Lord, of growing in holiness, what are those things? Okay, TV, yeah. Sitting on the computer. Playing games on your phone. Guilty as charged. I, right. Anything that keeps you from fixing your eyes on Jesus, anything that keeps you from being all that he wants you to be. And do you understand, I'm repeating myself here, how that will vary from person to person? What, what is a hindrance and an encumbrance and a weight for me may not be for Diane and vice versa. So I might be able to sit down with my husband and watch a couple of TV shows, and it's not a hindrance. Someone else, they can't, it's, it's almost like an alcoholic. We start, especially with binge watching with Netflix these days, we, I've heard of people watching 10 episodes in a sitting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Social media, not even the teenagers, the adults. I can tell you some 40 and 50-year-olds that are posting five times a day. So they're looking at it. That's a lot of posting in a day. On, on, I mean, when I scroll down at the end of the day, just kind of skimming through to see what's going on, I'm like, how do you do this and you're at work? Some of them are, what'd she say? They're overposters. A lot of those get hidden in my feed because I get tired of looking at them, but... Yeah, so any of those things can be the things that would, would pull us away and keep us from um, having that, that focus. So the question, and I would, write, <clears throat> I would write this down and think about it, and in your quiet time, take it to the Lord. I'm going to give you a couple questions this year as we go through here. This one is, is there anything that is hindering my walk with you, Lord? Is there anything that's hindering my walk with you? that is preventing me from being what you fully want me to be, that is causing me to lose my focus on following you? And I, I would earnestly ask him that question and sit with it and be open to what it is and be ready that he may have you give something up or limit it that you dearly love doing. Because right, right now anyway, it's hindering your walk with him. And I'm in this boat with you all, okay? I'm going to be doing the same thing. Okay. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And why do we look to him? He is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Why are those apt words for this particular group of people? 
they were being persecuted, weren't they? They were experiencing the hostility from sinners that he also experienced, persecution for who he was and for who they are in following him. So look to him. He endured, and he, and he did it perfectly. He's your, your author, your perfecter. He is the one you can look to as the example and follow. Keep your focus on him. And keep your focus on, do you see, for the joy set before him, what was the joy that was set before him? That is the joy set before us. That was the joy set before all those people in chapter 11 in the great hall of faith. What was the joy? Y'all don't know? Okay. Yeah. What's the joy? Heaven. Yes, eternity. Perfection. The, heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem we're going to look at next week, the heavenly city of God, the myriads of angels, it's, it's everything. It's the, it's the fulfillment of all that God has promised. What were those in chapter 11 doing? They were looking forward to the promises of God, whether they received him in this life or not. There's, we have the promise. He's come, he, we have the promise of heaven and all that it entails and all the joy of it. Look to that, the eternal perspective. Essentially, that's what he's saying is, Keep, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eye on the eternal perspective. Don't get distracted by all this noise that's going on right now in this life. Focus on the goal and the prize. And what is it? It's eternity with him. It's eternity with him. Do y'all see that? That's hard to do because it gets, it's very easy to get distracted by all this, by the little shiny rabbits running by us all the time. There's one, and off we go. Thoughts, comments? Okay. So look to him. Consider him. Focus on him. Meditate on him. What he endured, who he is, all the promises that are wrapped up in him and that we will one day find fulfilled in our own life. And remember that you are not suffering any more than he is suffering. In fact, he says, you not you haven't even, it's bad, but isn't that bad yet? Because you haven't even suffered to the point of shedding blood. Yet, yes, what you've experienced is bad, but it could be worse. And it might get worse because it's not as bad as it could be yet. So focus on him who really did endure the bad. What else are we to do? We need to remember something. Tony kind of brought it up a little bit earlier. We run with endurance, but as we live by faith, what do we need to remember, because he said, you've forgotten. In verse 5, you've forgotten what? <coughs> hmm? Okay, and what all that, right, and what all that in, in, implies. You've forgotten... How do we word this? What have they forgotten? Yes, they've forgotten that they're sons, but what does sons experience? The discipline. You have forgotten the exhortation. I'm just going to say about discipline. 
And what does he say about this, about discipline? What first question I would ask you is, what do you think of when you hear the word discipline? Spanking? It's deceit teaching. I, he, well, not what he's doing, but just what you think of when you hear the word discipline. Training? Correcting? Punishing? Consequences? Refinement? Teaching? Okay. Scared, dread, eek. Okay. It, it, could, it could elicit some really um, negative feelings, couldn't it, to hear the word discipline? Especially for people that grew up under, uh, with a harsh parent that disciplined out of other motives than the training and the teaching. Um, I can see where this word would, would elicit a lot of negative emotions and, and seem like a very negative thing. Am I right? But is it a negative thing? What is the meaning of this word when he says it is for discipline that you endure? What is the Greek, the Greek word for discipline? What, what does it mean? It's everything you all said, isn't it? It's training. And what is training a child? It's the train, it's child training. That's the way I learned it, child training. What is child training involved? When you're training, all, those of you all here, especially with little toddlers, what does child training involve? Patience, love, consistency, perseverance, <laughs> not killing them. <laughs> we almost killed one of ours once. Haven't I told you all that? I told that story in here the night we were going to kill David. <laughs> I was going to do it. <laughs> oh, no, no. He was a baby. And he had, um, probably should have. Um, no, he, um, he did burn our house down, literally. Um, he, um, he is our challenge child who keeps us humble and makes us realize that it's not what you do. It's God's grace, how they turn out. But he um, was about... Nine, ten months old, he had ear infections. He'd been up every night multiple, multiple times. And this night, I kid you not, had been 13, 15 times. And by about 5 in the morning, we were so sleep-deprived, and we hear him crying again, and I said, I'm going I'm to kill him. And, and I meant it. And I'm not joking. And Vance said, let me know if you need help. <laughs> and um, I got up and went in, and he's standing in his crib, and my goodness, he was so stinking cute. And so I picked him up, and Vance came in and goes, well, did you do it? And I said, no, look at him. He's really cute. And he goes, yeah, he really is. And yes, we can't do it. But, I mean, we were just, we were crazy people. From months and months and months of no sleep, I could, we, could, we could definitely understand how someone could go too far with a child at that point because we were, we were just, we'd walk in church and people were just, we're praying for you because we were just, gone mentally from this child getting up so much. But you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't, those of y'all that do sleep training, you couldn't do sleep training because you didn't know, were they crying because of pain or because of, um, you know, they just didn't, they wanted you. But a lot of it was because of the pain. They were, he was in a lot of pain. He wasn't trying to torture us. He just did. 
So, yeah. Oh dear. Okay, it's the same word. Go to 2 Timothy 3.16. The same word is used here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Same word that is used there. And then in, and that's not the right scripture reference. I think it's Ephesians 6, 4. Father, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Same word. That is used. So it's child training. It's everything that has to do with ensuring that that child becomes a responsible adult, which includes teaching and training and exhorting and correction and reproof and consequences and maybe some punishment when they have blatantly disobeyed. So it's all of those things combined, but it is a good thing. How is it a good thing? What is God's goal? in disciplining us. How is what they're going through discipline? Okay, it's to prepare them to be with God in eternity. What else is it to do? What is the purpose of all this discipline that we go through? Maturity, yes. So that we are mature, what does he say? He even tells us in here, uh, in which verse is that? Why? Where is it? Is it in 11? Yes. In 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his what? His holiness. Are we holy already? Yes and no. Yes, we are. He has made us holy. He has sanctified us. We are holy. We are perfect. We are complete in Christ. We are sanctified, but remember what we've learned here? We are continually being sanctified. We are positionally holy, but now the holiness needs to come out in how we live, in our behavior, in our demeanor, and in who we are on a day-to-day basis. So it's that we might grow in the, that the positional holiness might become experiential in our life and be seen by other people so that we might look more like him and be transformed more into the image of Christ, be, as Tara said, be mature, but also so that it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Back up a second. For It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful 
when he says seems painful, it almost gives us an implication of something else that's lying there. Do you all understand where I'm going with that? Or I'm going to have, you may not have asked that well. It seems painful. It is painful, isn't it? But what can I know in the midst of that pain? There's victory ahead. What else is there ahead? What does it just say right here? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. What, what does that mean? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't there a peaceful fruit that occurs? When, when, when we are right with God, when, he is, when we finally reach over that, that plateau of the pain, I, I would think of the, the, um, the endurance race. Lisa, help me here. When you finish, what's the feeling that you get when you finish that race? Accomplishment, joy, satisfaction. Yeah. So as these things are producing and force, you know, um, removing the sin in our lives, pushing forth holiness and sanctification in our lives, there's, there's a peaceful fruit that comes with that. I don't know how to say it. I'm not saying that well, but I don't know how to say it any other way. That fruit of it gives us such a sense of serenity and peace that we experience within. Am I right? Jim, did you want to add something? You're just okay. I think it's that I, I I can only speak from my own experience. And and I, for example, I can think about a number of years ago I went through probably one of the most painful things I've ever gone through in my life. And it just it almost broke me. But as I went through it, one thing I've learned, and I would write this down, as you're going through trials, tribulations, whatever you're going through, that is ultimately the discipline of the Lord. And even if it's not, even if it's just, you know, because we live in a fallen, broken world, God doesn't waste anything. He will waste no circumstance, no tragedy, nothing. He will use it for your good. Absolutely. He can pick up. I, I think of Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You absolutely did not take away the evil that his brothers meant for him and the sin that they committed against him. But you know what? God didn't waste it, and he used it in his sovereignty to, to preserve a whole nation of people. And, and those truths lay side by side. So when I went through this, when I, as I went through it, here's the question I'd write down that I've learned to ask. What is it, Lord, that I am supposed to be learning through this? I'd write it down. What is it that I'm supposed to be learning through this? Because if he's allowed it, there's something he wants you to know. There's something he wants you to learn. And I had a real epiphany one day, and it just became so clear to me what, that what was meant for evil against me, God was using to set me free. And it, it was very painful. And it revealed areas of idolatry in my life I didn't really know were there or know that they were to that extent. And it was painful to have that ripped away. And it was a long process. But it has set me free in some areas. And that's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's like a loving father saying, you know what, now I've got you to a point in my walk with you that I can do this. And we're going to do it. And it's going to be really, really hard. 
but I'm walking with you through it. And he put people in my life that walk with me through it. And, and, and I got through. I got through it. And I'm a, I'm a stronger person today because of it. And I'm more free in my walk with him. Now he's taking me through something else that's not as hard but hard. So it's just a, con it's a constant run with endurance. And I'm back in the place, in the struggle that I'm in now, saying, what is it that you want me to learn in this? What is it I'm supposed to be getting through this so that I can have more of that peaceful fruit of righteousness? And it really is a constant having to have people stand alongside you. You're missing. You're not focusing on Jesus, Nancy. Focus on him. You've gotten distracted over here. Focus on him. Focus on what is true. You remember when I love that it says here, you have forgotten the exhortation that you are my sons. And because you are my sons, a good parent will allow their children to suffer pain so that they'll learn. And it's hard. Y'all in here, it's hard to watch them go through that, isn't it, Diane? It's really, really hard to let them make choices that you know are going to be detrimental, especially when they get to be adults. But then they have to learn, and you got to step back and let them learn it. Um, it's, it's very difficult. But we, a, a loving parent will let their child go through some pain so that they can grow. And I wish I could take credit for this two-word phrase, but I can't take credit for it either, but write it down. Pain trains. And that's essentially what he's saying here. Pain trains. It's for your good. Remember that. If I've allowed this into your life, it's because I want you to learn something, and I'm going to use it to mature you, to grow you, to make you more into the image of who I am so that you enjoy me more, so that we're more intimate so that we have a closer relationship, and so that you're set free from these weights that were entangling you that you may not have even known were entangling you, and, and, and the sin. Because haven't you had that experience? I know I'm kind of preaching here, but haven't you had that experience where one day you go, oh, I didn't even know I was doing that, and that's sin. I had no idea I'd been doing that. Anybody had that? Thoughts, comments? Properly understood, it's a gift of grace. It is absolutely a gift of grace to go through difficulties. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many defile, that no one is sexually or immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. What did Esau do? What was his motivation? That he would give up his birthright. He was hungry. He was hungry. He was starving to death. So essentially, what did he do? Where did he fail? He traded what was permanent for what was temporary. How is that a perfect example for these people right here? 
Yeah, they're trying to get rid of the persecution. So I'll just go back to Judaism where I won't be so persecuted and, tra and train the, trade the temporary, take the temporary for the permanent and give up the blessing, the birthright. And then he could get it back. We've seen that in Hebrews. You give it up. There's nothing there for you. How is that a perfect example of motivation, of exhortation, the negative? Sometimes the negative examples are really good examples for us as we run this race with endurance, as we seek to live by faith. How is that a good example, that bad example? Don't do it. The temporary is not worth it. Don't cave. It's, there's, there's no, what, what seems like immediate satisfaction for you physically or mentally or even, I wouldn't even say spiritually, but immediate satisfaction, it's not worth it. It won't be worth it in the end to trade the permanent for the temporal. So don't do it. Okay? Comments? Anything you all want to share? Anything we didn't cover that you want to know? He could never get back his birthright. It was gone. That's how I see it. Jim, do you see differently? There's, there's. Yeah. And you're getting so old. I am. Saying that, 
And, war and warnings. What, what I think of, and I don't know that's where you're going, what I, goes through my mind as I hear you say that, and in relation to Esau, it, and some things I've heard you say in sermons lately and, and also in here is how people want to just live in sin and expect forgiveness and no consequences. To me, the example of Esau is make that choice, and you may never get it back. What it, and how and why that works out, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think we're talking about salvation. But we're I talking about. I don't think the text is No, we don't know the I mean, because he did when, when um, the father blessed them. He didn't get it. He wanted it back. And he was upset that he didn't get it. But he had sold it. Yeah. Right. I really want right. to get exposed. Right. I agree. But still, wait. I mean, this, this, yeah. is, this is where Bible says, what says, 
that uh, our job is, is not to apologize for the past, but to teach the past. And sometimes that's what we do. We want to apologize. See, the good news is, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you suck for having heard that past. No, because that's really sad. Yeah, but it can't be that because that's not the point. <laughs> that's what it says. That's what it says. Like, I can't apologize. And he didn't get it back. And I cry, and I feel bad, and yes, and I'm so sorry I did that. It's like, I love the analogy of your son. You can cry and feel bad, but, he, what it, you know, if he had lived an immoral life, you can't get it back. Can't get it back. And you take it into that marriage. I think what he's well, what he's saying is there's still consequences. There is, but this text doesn't prove that. Right. Right. This text proves proves that there's consequences for that choice that are maybe undoable. Yes. No. I don't. We don't know that. Do you know that? <laughs> We're stopping. We've run into JJ's time. That's a bad question. I'll agree with you on that one. Okay. Take a break. I would like for you to do with me for the next few moments. I would like for you to analagizomai with me. The word is to consider. And as Tara uh, very rightly um, pointed out uh, in, in the break, there are a lot of hapax legomenas in this chapter and in this book. You guys know what a hapax legomena is? It is a word that appears one time only in the New Testament. Hapax lagamana, words that are spoken or used 
only once. And what happens when a word is used only once? What's the difficulty with that? It's hard to know what it means. Like, we only know what words mean by them being used a lot and us looking and weighing and considering uh, um, what, they, what they mean in their context, and then we, we get to deduce what, what they mean by that. When, when they're not, it's, it's really, really a complicated idea. And so we're, we're going to be working through, and I want us to consider, which actually is a, um, a hapax legomena. Uh, it, means, um, it means to weigh out. It's, it's, and I like that idea because I think that's a lot of what these chapters, this book particularly, it's a key word, I think, for this whole book, is that what I, what I would like for you, it's not just think. It's, I, I want you to recognize like the choices, the decisions that you're making. I think the Esau phrase is a great analogy to use. I know you're hungry. Um, do you sell your birthright for a meal or not? Let's think this out. Um, like, I know she's beautiful. want to know if you want to give up faithfulness for a night of passion. I know you've got a good grade. I want to ask you, do you want to give up the possibility of ending really, really well um, for the temporary pleasure of just blowing off the final? And there's lots of different ways in which we have to weigh it out. Let's weigh it out. Let's weigh it out. So here's where I want to begin our journey today. I promise you we'll be in the, seven, you know, the 17 verses of, uh, of Hebrews 12, but I want to, I want to back it up a little bit um, because what I would really like to consider is how God works out Hebrews 10.14. So turn to Hebrews 10.14 um, and let's consider that. So Hebrews 10.14 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, actually, because I love that it gives, forces me to think, it forces me to have a deeper and a richer understanding of a profound truth, which is that simultaneously, I am both perfect and being perfected, and I can't ever have um, an answer that denies one of those paradoxical truths, okay? And so, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are perfect as you are being perfected. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible teaches. And, and, and honestly, this, it's a normal thing to go, okay, what does that even, how, okay, how am I still doing something that I've already done? Well, here's the good news. It's not you that did it. So that begins to answer some of the question. It's not you that did it. And I would even say this. It's not even primarily you that's doing it. So I know that you, this is a problem when we talk about salvation. You know that there is not only us looking, if we, if we can use a direction, looking up at salvation. How do I get it? What do I need to do? How about if I repent? How about if I do bad things? Can I ever lose it? And I'm always looking up at it. Okay? But you know there's another direction that we could consider salvation. Right? Which I would argue actually should be our prime. I'm not saying this is a bad one. I'm saying for many of us this is our only one. And that's why, I mean, you can always tell a, a group of people 
that really want to sell you something because it's always a win-win for you. That's why whenever I hear the idea of eternal security, not the perseverance of the saints, but eternal security um, in its Americanized, cheap version, I just feel like somebody's trying to sell me something, like a blade that'll never get dull. Have you bought a Cutco blade? Have your friends ever sold Cutco and you bought one? Yeah, I know. Okay, why do I need a sharpener? Right? I just, I can't tell you how many college students I bought a Cutco blade for. Now to the point, which by the way, great knives. But now do you know what I actually say? If I just write you a check for $100, can we call this good? That's what I say to the students now. Let me just write you a check for 100 bucks. we'll call this good. It'll all feel better about the whole, I don't need one more dull knife in my drawer, right? If somebody's trying to sell you something, and it just literally kind of sounds too good to be true, you need to ask some questions. You need to consider whether or not that's happening. So what's very interesting is the Bible does not always talk about salvation from this direction, but I would even argue primarily it describes it this way. Something God does. That's why I love my Reformed brothers and sisters. Salvation is something God did. God sent Jesus. And I know it's not the only time it's described, and I do believe there is some kind of a human involvement in the process. How it all works, I don't know. But I'm actually totally comfortable with God being the primary mover, the primary originator. Um, Maybe I could put it this way. What if we consider Jesus, who was both the author and perfecter or completer of our faith. See the dimension that our chapter even looks at it? Consider Jesus, who is what? Like, who is he? Not just God. He is the author and the, and, and here's another word for that. That, that by the way, that's another hapax legomena. Um, it is, they're, they're, the, the Hebrew writer is playing off of the word teleos, which means perfect, or, but not in, the, not in the perfect, 100% pure sense. It literally means like to complete or to finish or to arrive at the end. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus made it. You were, you were using the race analogy quite a bit. Jesus actually finished the race and won. And I want you to think of him, the one who designed the race, and then the one who finished it and won. I want you to think about him. And so when we're thinking about our salvation, that's why I, this, to try to think that this chapter isn't about our salvation is wrong. It is about our salvation and understanding our salvation. I think it is always best to remember this arrow before any other arrow. Does that make sense? Like it's just, to me it is just, just seems appropriate in light of the fact that I'm not the author and I'm not perfect, then maybe I need to think about it from his perspective and not mine. From God's perspective and not a human one. So when you look at this thing and you say, okay, wait, how can I have something I haven't, how can I have something perfectly that, I don't, that I'm still working on and I'm having it? And I love that reminder, well, you're not the one that did it, Jesus did, and you're not even the one who is the primary mover of the perfecting, but what is that? Jesus is the one who who accomplished for us what we couldn't accomplish, but with a perfect life. You know that, right? And a death, okay? And then what is our sanctifying agent? What is it? You know it. It's Holy Spirit, okay? So the Holy Spirit 
is this sanctifying agent. He is, in fact, the Spirit, the Holy One. Okay? And so, let's, let's remember that. So, I am made perfect by Christ. I am being made perfect by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. How does the Spirit do that? Let's think about that for a moment. Like, how does the Spirit perfect me? Have you ever thought about that? Because, I mean, we, how many of you, I mean, it would be silly to say, how many of you believe Hebrews 10, 14? I mean, hopefully we all believe it. That I have been made perfect as he is making me perfect. So, how is the Holy Spirit making us perfect? How is he, in fact, teaching us? How, how, how does this, what, is this, what does this mean and how does this work? Okay? And again, be very careful from this dimension. And let's remember that there is a primacy. There is a kind of a foundational element in terms of what God, Son, Spirit, Father, Son, Spirit are doing in the salvation and let me just take a bigger view of this. This, this, this word is not at any way, well, I can't say in any way. Every time I want to state it, I can't overstate it. Okay. Um, it, it is so much more than get to heaven. It, it truly is in no way synonymous with get to heaven or not go to hell. Like, again, think about it. One of the, one of, some, of the, some of the ways that I love to describe it is rescue. Okay, sozo or soteria in the Greek, rescue or um, um, made whole. So what the, the fact of what Jesus Christ has done and is doing, I, I loved when all of the theology began to dovetail together. And on, instead of it being a better boy, because that's what I kind of thought I was supposed to be most of my life, was I just needed to be a better boy. Just need to be a better person. Need to be a better husband and a better father and a better this and a better that. And it just wore me slick. And then I found out that that really wasn't my primary objective. My primary objective was to follow Jesus. And then he worked in me all of these things according to his purposes. And I just was like, weirdly enough, I've never worked harder and more peacefully after I figured that out. I've never in my life worked more hard more, more, more passionately. I've never felt a greater burden than when I realized the burden was all on God. Anybody love that paradox? I've never felt a greater burden than when I realized the burden was mostly on him. Well, actually, all on him that he sometimes shares with me. <laughs> so how does, the, how does the Holy Spirit sanctify us? And by the way, the word to sanctify or to make whole, it's one element of this. It is to bring us to perfection. It is to bring us to completion, which means to make us like who? Like Jesus. So how do I become like Jesus? You ever thought about that? I think about it all the time. But sadly enough, it kind of goes like this. I wonder if I could become like Jesus. I don't know. I should do that someday. So when does... Villanova play again, right? That's kind of the next, I know they're out, but, so, but that's kind of like my next idea. Like I really don't linger long on the idea of what does true sanctification look like? What is the true working out of the Holy Spirit in me? What is the, what is the Jim Johnson becoming more like Jesus Christ ultimately look like? Well, in a nutshell, for me to become more like Jesus Christ is to know him, is it not? Is to know him. But not factual things about him, like 
you know, Jesus' mom's name was Mary. Jesus' dad's name was Yahweh. I mean, it doesn't, which was also him. I mean, it's complicated. But it's, it's not knowing facts about him, okay? But that's part of it, but it's so much more than that, right? It's to, it's to know, oh, I got a guy. Let's, let's go back to the Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. And where I want you to look let's begin I'm trying to think of where we want to start. Well, I'm gonna probably have to start in verse eight, even though I want to kind of start halfway through verse eight, but I'll just begin the beginning of it. Okay. So he's already said, I don't count my own righteousness as something that matters to me. I consider it all like rubbish. And then, indeed, he, 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 well, he's about to talk about the rubbish stuff. So, in verse 8, um, I'm just going to do this, because I'm going to need him. Okay. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Which, when you think about it, obviously, this has so much more than, it must mean so much more than just him knowing facts about Jesus. To know Jesus seems like so much more than just knowing facts about him. And that is why, I want you to think about this. It is not reading your Bible that matters so much, but it is living your Bible that matters. Does that make sense? It's not reading it, it's living it. How do I live my Bible? Well, actually, you do know, so don't play dumb with me. You know exactly what it is. And watch how, watch how this folds together, okay? So then to live your Bible literally is to see what Jesus Christ tells and models and then doing it, is it not? Is acting as he, acting as he acted, walking as he walked, talking as he talked, forgiving as he forgave, which, by the way, is all of Paul's letters. Hey, let's act like Jesus. Guys, remember, um, you were clothed with Jesus, so act like Jesus. This is all he ever said. Honestly, the more I read Paul, the more I go, wow, first of all, you're brilliant. And second of all, like, Jesus already said all this stuff, by the way, Paul, which he, I think he would say, I know. <laughs> the reason why my stuff is so awesome is because I got it from Jesus. And really, the Gospels are nothing more than a living out of the Gospels. Or the, the, the Paul's letters, sorry, are nothing more than the living out of the Gospels. And so when Paul says, like, I desire nothing more than to know Jesus, how do I know Jesus? It is by living the Bible, living the Gospels, living, living the teachings of Christ. That's how I know him, okay? Because my mom and dad told me a lot about Jesus. They, really, they told me a lot about him. And they said, hey, you know, this is who Jesus is. And you should come to church and love you, love him and all this stuff. Uh, okay, and I did that for a long time and thought it was cute and fun and, you know, I liked being with my family and so that meant a lot to me. Um, and, and then as I began to get older, I had to begin to make some choices. I had to analogizoma, I had to consider some things. And I had to consider whether or not Jesus' instructions on turning the other cheek were right or not. Like whether or not he could be trusted in that or not. I had, to, I had to actually stop and go, wait a second, um, am I going to be a peacemaker in this instance or am I not going to be a peacemaker in this instance? 
Because Jesus told me, blessed are the peacemaker. And I had to decide, I had to consider whether or not that was actually true. And by the way, sometimes I got it right and sometimes I got it wrong. But Jesus never did get it wrong. He always got it right. I had to walk through my life. This, is, this has been my life since my baptism, is walking through and testing Jesus constantly. Weighing whether or not my life lived according to Him and by Him and for Him and through Him, by the power of the Spirit, not by my own strength, whether or not that made sense and was right or whether or not it wasn't. And He was right every time. And the more that I began to live that, live the gospel, live out the Sermon on the Mount, live out his teachings on forgiveness, living out um, the implications of the stories of the prodigal and the good Samaritan. I began to know him in a completely different way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like knowing him in a way that is so much more than he was born here, and he went here, and he went here. Like, I got lots of that information in my head, right? I really do. It does not compare to, no, I mean, do you know that Jesus said, I am the bread of life? All of us would go, yes. Can I ask you another question? Do you know that he is the bread of life? Like, I know you know he said that. But do you know that? And do you know that um, like those who drink water, like normal water because they're thirsty, that one day they will thirst again. Have you, ever, have you ever been thirsty and then satisfied and then do you ever get thirsty again? But he who drinks from me, Jesus said, will never be thirsty again. Like I know you know Jesus said that. But I'm going to ask you a really tough question. Does he satisfy your thirst? Like for the deepest identity, your greatest fear. Like that's kind of what he's describing in that text. Is a satisfaction that we're, we're striving outside of him ceases. So I know you know he said that. I'm asking you, do you know that? And guarantee you, if some of us are honest, we would say, no. I don't know that. I think I want to know that. But I don't know if I know that. I think that, I think that what I've been doing is I've just been drinking lots of Powerade. You know, like it kind of quenches my thirst. It's, 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 like, it's kind of like religion light or Christianity light or Jesus light. Like I'm reading my Bible a lot and I'm going on mission trips and I'm, I'm even talking about them to my kids. Like I'm doing so much of it, but no, there's still something out there that is completely beyond. I, 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 if I'm going to be honest with you, Jim, I don't know really what you're talking about. It's like at times I think I do actually. At times, I really think I do. And then sometimes I really don't think I do. And it's kind of this ebb and flow. And I, I know what that feels like. I do. I'm going to be honest. I know what that feels like. But what Paul says is, like, I want to know him. And it is so much more than 
And so now I've almost got the first five chapters of Matthew's Gospel memorized. It's, um, and now I've been living the first five chapters of Matthew's Gospel. And I know him now like I've never known him before. Do you know that? Like, I, I know that what I'm saying is so, like, simple. I just feel stupid for telling you. But I just feel like it is so profoundly true, we need to hear it again. Can I say it again? And so, no, and by the way, here's what I love about the Bible. It gets deeper than that even, as simple as that is. So he goes on, he says, listen, like, I really want to know Jesus Christ, my Lord. <laughs> Interesting, he doesn't say Savior. Why does he say, I want to know Jesus Christ, my Lord? And not Savior. Anybody have an idea? He's, well, he came. Maybe because he's already saved. How about this? Because what Paul is describing about in this whole chapter is about finding a righteousness, a level of obedience that is not a slave to the law, but is in response to the teachings of Christ. I want to know Christ, my Lord. <laughs> Because the only way in which, I'm telling you this, the only way in which you will really know who Jesus Christ is, is to trust him at his word. The only way you can become like him is to believe him and to walk after him. Is it not? Like, tell me that's not all he ever talked about. Like, follow me, follow me, follow me. And you know he doesn't mean, because I'm going this direction. Like, you know that when he says, follow me, like he's meaning, like, Embed yourself into me. And that's why Jesus is so radical in comparison to so many other religious quacks. Is Jesus himself is, is calling us to fold ourselves into him. And if he's not God, it's not worth it. Moses doesn't say that. Even Paul, when he says, follow me, what does he end it with? What? As I follow Christ. He does say, follow me, but he ends it with, by the way, as I follow Christ. And so here's what he says. Listen, I want to know Christ, my Lord. And the only way that I can know him is when I understand the lordship of him. Okay, because Jesus, there's this one person, and I know you told me that I shouldn't speak bad about him. I know that you actually told me to rid myself of all slander and bitterness and rage and envy, but he has hurt me so badly. And I, I'm, 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 I need to analogizomai, I need to consider whether or not I'm going to hold on to this and say a couple of bad things because, oh, it feels so good to just let it out and, it, and, and, to, and to sting him, to really sting him. And as my Greek professor used to always say, weirdly enough, until you know Jesus, it never feels as good to give it to him. It always feels better to stick it to the one you're trying to stick it to. And then once you know him, you realize it actually feels a whole lot better to give it to him. <laughs> but you have to know him to figure that out. If not, let him have it. Let it, let it, let it go. Oh, does that not feel good just letting, like vomiting all over people? Does that not just feel good? And by the way, the answer is yes. To, to just vomit on someone is wonderful feeling. Now, by the way, you've just vomited on someone. But let's be honest. How many of you have felt sick, you vomited, and you go, I'm so glad I got that out of me? And how many of you have done that with anger? 
Just me? I've done that. Does it not feel good? Let's be honest. Yes. And my Greek professor used to always challenge us. Like, the only one who's able to handle it, actually, that kind of venom, is Christ. He's really the only one that's able to handle it. And amazingly enough, I've learned to vomit on Jesus. I really have. I've learned to, to take that to him. But I needed to understand him as Lord in order to do that. If I don't get him as Lord, no, sorry, Andrea bears the full weight of that. My kids get it. My friends get it. Everybody else gets it. And, uh, and, and sadly enough, then, then I want to take it back, and then I wonder, I wonder if she still remembers that one time I called her that. Oh, yeah, I promise you, she does. She really does. So, so watch how he continues. So that Lord word there is, is, is pretty interesting. For his sake, Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain him and then be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes by what? Faith in Christ. Now, let's think about this. Again, we go faith in Christ. Like faith in, what do you mean faith in Christ? What do you mean faith in the Messiah? And what I think Paul would say is, I mean everything about that phrase. Faith in Christ is not that Jesus was the Messiah. Faith in Christ is that in everything that he said, he is worth following. And that all of his instructions are true and reliable. So the word faith can, very, can almost synonymously be replaced with the word trust. It is that there is an obedience piece that is naturally in the Gospels and naturally in faith as we saw last week in chapter 11. Did we not? Two weeks ago. By faith, what? Everyone did something. Why? Because they trusted, right? So by faith was how they acted, by trusting in something. And what the Apostle Paul says right here is that what my righteousness comes by is faith in Christ. And it begins with knowing that he has perfected me. Do you know that? That you can't perfect yourself. Or have you gotten over the fact you are so messed up and broken, you can't fix yourself? Do you know that? And we say yes. Great. Now, by the way, do you know that he is now still working on you, making you like him? Because that's now step two. Now that he's, weirdly enough, it goes like this. Now that he's already made you like him, now let's become like him. That's what he's talking about here. How? Well, he's describing it here by having faith in Christ, which is by faith, Jim forgave Andrea for what she said when she said, I can't do this anymore. By faith, um, Jim said no to some thoughts about this girl that he saw one time at an airport in Atlanta. Like, Do you know like that's how real it is? Like, by faith, Jim confessed these things. By faith, I mean, if you go down and take your life, all of the things that you do, in essence, right, are, that are for God are by faith, are they not? Are we not doing them? Because really what we're talking about is like we're trusting in Jesus, like we're trying to follow him and to live like him. And to, is that not true? And that's what he is describing right here. All of these things, but we don't do them 
like to get God, we do them because by the grace of God we already have him. That's the fundamental issue of the gospel. So look at how this continues. Um, So I want to have this, which comes through faith in Christ, which is not a generic belief about him. It's like an ongoing process. The righteousness from God that what? Depends on trusting him. That I may, now this is the beauty of it, that I may now know him in the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, and then what does he say immediately following that? And share in his sufferings. This is the part that amazed me. When I went to Philippians 3, at first I was just to know Christ, to know Christ, to know Christ. And then by the time I was done the section, I ended up talking about what? By sharing in his suffering. And then he, he ends with this. Okay, so I want you to think about that. So how do I know Jesus? Honestly, here's how I, here's how I know Jesus like best, is not that I just follow him all the time, but I follow him even when it leads to suffering. And then guess what I do? I keep following through the suffering. Is that not Hebrews 12? And and how do I do that? Like, how do I continue to follow Jesus through the suffering? Like, through the, um, the doubt in my own mind, through the disbelief, through the mocking, through the ridicule, through the pain. Have you guys ever been just in pain? Like, what do, you, what, 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 do I, what do you do? Honestly, are you ready? Here's what we do. We quit. <laughs> We're going to be honest. We quit. That's what we do, Honestly. Like, you don't get this figure by pushing through physically. So I, I'm, I'm really good at this. I, 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 and it's getting harder all the time. I used to. There was a day in my life when I could literally push through, and, oh, man, that was so good. Now, right before I get to that point, like, where it's really, really hard physically, I go, you know, I'm good. Anybody else exercise like me? I'm good. Because I'm almost tired. And so I think I'm just going to stop now before I start getting tired. Like, that's what we do. Like, we quit. Have you ever been, have you ever been glad you quit? Like, you know, that you, that you didn't endure through something? I, I mean, there may be one. I'm not even trying to go, the, there's never been a, I don't know, there might be one. You might have an example. But here, here's what's very interesting, is that um, I, I do this a lot in my counseling and no matter what the circumstances, I've, I've done this, okay? Um, I've done this when she cheated on him. And I'm looking at him, and I'm saying, like, don't plan anything right now. Like, I, I need you to just stop, and I don't need you to worry about um, anything else right now, but just, just we're going to take this day by day. And I, I know. I, I, I'm not even promising you she'll come back. I'm just telling you. Um, and this is, how I, this is how I say it a lot now. Um, you're writing a story of your life that one day you'll give to your grandkids. And by the way, your story could go like this. Your grandma cheated on me, and it hurt a lot. And I said, you know what? Forget her. 
I don't need this. And then I talked to my best friend, and he said, yeah, you deserve better. And so then I then talked to my mom, and she said, I always hated her. And then I, and then, it just, I mean, literally, nobody, hey, like this is, that is so real. And then I said, you know what? I, I found four Bible verses that said I could walk away from this. And then I did this, and then I did that, and then I walked away from her. And that's my story. I still hate her. By the way, tell me that's not crazy real. That's not like, yeah, I know a person who may have done that. It's like, no, that's actually what the majority of people do. And I, so I ask people this who are at that very first stage. Is that the story you want to tell your grandkids? Is that the story you want to tell them? But by the way, it may have to be, well, let me explain to you who your first grandma was. Like, that may be where we get. But wouldn't you like to have a story of, and she hurt me really, really bad. Now, that part's the same. And, man, I wanted to quit. And my mom said that she hated her, because that's true, too. <laughs> right? Let's go down the list. And then the more that I not listen to my pastors, although hopefully they gave you godly advice, and not that, but I listened to Jesus, and I did everything I could, I, I thought about, like, he knows what rejection is like, and so I decided that I'd risk rejection before I just walked away. And he knows what it's like to be violated, and he knows what it's like to be cheated on, and I just kept, like, mostly crying, but then kind of enduring through. And we did, like, four years of counseling, and, that I, I mean, right? You could tell that story, and then at the very end, honestly, like, in a worldly sense, you might feel a bit like a loser, but, like, you, you know what you did was right. You want to tell your grandkids that story? You want to tell your grandkids that story? And I, and I, and I say to them, and it's easier for me because I'm, I haven't had to go through that in my marriage. I, I'll admit it. It's easier for me. But I'll be honest with you. For right now, that's the story I would rather tell. I would rather tell that story. By the way, Hebrews 11 is about people who have an opportunity for eternity to tell stories. Yeah, I built the boat. Did you know that? My name's Noah. Hi, I don't you kind of surprised I look like this, aren't you? Yeah, that's what I look like. This is me, Noah. Everybody goes, wow, you're Noah. I thought you'd look different. Everyone's going to say that to Noah, probably. And he gets to tell the story. And all of, how many of you would love to be able to tell Noah's story like it was your story? Would you not, that would be awesome? How many of you would love to tell, you know, like David's story? Now, minus a couple versions, uh, or not versions, a couple of excerpts from it. But, but in the end, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm even really good at telling David's story. Really, I am. Like, here's what I did, here are my successes, here are my failures, but I was, I was a man after God's own heart. Like, I knew how to repent well. Yeah, some things I'm not proud of. I mean, it's always awkward walking by Uriah. But the truth, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's a great joke, by the way. But... Think about this. Think about this. But it's a great, is it not a great story to be able to tell? Like, would you not want to tell David's story? I really would, actually. I really, honestly, I would. It, it would be a wonderful thing to be able to say for eternity, I'm the one that God said, I had his heart. That's my heart. And so as you go through Hebrews 11, it's just people that did what? That had faith and that trusted? Like, through the difficulties. And here's what's interesting. They didn't even have Jesus as the example. David didn't have Jesus. Daniel didn't have Jesus. 
Moses didn't have Jesus. Abraham didn't have Jesus. No, they just had like somewhere in their mind the idea that maybe there was a Jesus. But who do we have? According to Hebrews 12 is who? The what? The author and the finisher. Therefore, ananlegizo my him. Like consider him when you're ready to quit. Like when you're ready to not forgive. Like when you're ready to just take it out. Um, when you're ready, I mean, honestly, what, what if our answer, this is why I love to ask this, I love to ask this question, and, and by the way, I really mean this. I open up my life to, and I mean this literally, I open up my life to you to do the same to me, okay? Tell me how you need Jesus, like his example and his spirit in order to accomplish what you're about to do. Tell me how you need him. Or is he just going to get in the way of what you want to do? I ask that question of people and myself all the time. Like, I really don't need Jesus to just lust. And I don't need Jesus to be prideful. He just gets in my way every time. I just want to be proud and arrogant. Jesus is so annoying to me. Because he just reminds me of humility and... Uh, and I love to ask people this question. The way that you're acting and, and how you're now living your life, how do you need the words of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the model of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit as you're being perfected? How do you need that in order to accomplish where you're going? Oh. And by the way, is that not the Christian life? Can someone give me a better version? By the way, don't go, wow, how did Jim come up with that? No, I just, I found that in like Hebrews and Philippians. Isn't that what Hebrews 12 is all about? Because here's what, here's what got me to this point. I want to end with a very weird question, and I'm not even going to explain it. I'm going to kind of do the walk, boom, drop the mic, and walk away thing. Are you ready for this? Can you be faithful to God and give up? On others? Can I be faithful to God and give up on Andrea? Can I be faithful to God and give up on his church? Can I be faithful to God and just give up on... Can I tell you what I think the answer is? No. Don't like it? Hey. I'm not here to apologize for the text. <laughs> I'm here to teach it. Let's pray. God, thank you for that reminder that my faith is that simple and that my marriage and um, like how I shop at Walmart and how I walk the hallways of this building and the university. My God, there's nowhere I can escape. I can't go to Mexico and get away from you. I can't come back to Stillwater and go back to life as normal and escape. For wherever I go, you are there. And that means more as observer, but Father as Lord. And so I thank you for the full reality of what it means to be obedient to you. Without faith in you, without trusting you, there's no way to please you. God, this just makes 
for me, maybe I'm the only one thinking of this right now, just makes so much sense. I'm just so grateful that I don't have to do this on my own. And Father, I don't have to sit here and try to figure out a way to perfect myself or But instead, by your Spirit's power and by your Word's clarity, which, God, um, I apologize right now for ever pretending the Bible is really confusing. No, it's more clear. You are God. I'm not. Should you choose to discipline me? I know so many people just can't fathom that you would ever discipline them. Um, God, forgive me when I think that way. I mean, I really realize fully realize um, by considering Jesus just how valuable and worthy it is to be called his disciple. And God, in every way, in every relationship, and in every encounter, may I be faithful for your glory, others' benefit, and my joy. In Christ's name, amen.